Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 65th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, back from the beyond for this podcast. Got out of bed. It was an Uncle Joe-like experience, Grandpa Joe-like experience, Adam, just lying in my bed until somebody said that I could I could leave it, and then I was ready to to go to the chocolate factory. So back from the COVID bout, here with my friend Adam Goffin. That was the most extended intro I think I've ever done. How are you doing today, Adam? Uh, footy, Zach. Denver Nuggets footy. Denver Nuggets footy. That's exactly what I wanted you to say. Uh, Denver <laughs> Nuggets are everything. Um, Denver Nuggets are climbing the. NBA leaderboards playing tonight against the Detroit Pistons. I think that game actually just got started. Um, but yeah, glad that you mentioned the Nuggets. Nuggets are Nuggets are rolling right now. Uh, dude, good time to be a Denver sports fan. That's a rare thing to say. Yep, true story that. And actually, the Avs are playing pretty well too. Um, and for context, listeners, Zach has now officially given up his Newcastle fandom and is just a wholehearted fan of the Denver Nuggets. They are his only beloved team. He's also given up. Have you given up Leicester too, Zach? No, nah, I love Leicester. I'll, okay. I'll follow Leicester till the <laughs> day I that. die. <laughs> Perfect. Oh man, yeah, no, the, the Nuggets and Leicester. That's that's what keeps me going nowadays. Uh, but yeah, it was a. Could you could you say fruitful? It was a somewhat successful weekend for for Newcastle United. I suppose jipping a point off a top half team is is you know historic for the uh, the current status of this Newcastle team but um yeah one of one of the more surprising results on the weekend without a doubt yeah i think ultimately we are a point further ahead of fulham than we were to start the weekend so we'll take that as a moderate success right i think that's a a good way of putting it um and yeah besides the newcastle game there were a number of interesting fixtures this weekend we mentioned Leicester. they had a a top 4 battle against manchester city that they came up a bit short in uh, and other sides, Liverpool uh, continuing their kind of resurgence, if you will, up the table uh, with a win against Arsenal, um, who w- will be a mid-table side for the rest of their existence. Um, and then back to the surprising fixtures after those two more predictable ones, Chelsea hammered by West Brom, Burnley uh, throwing away a 2-0 lead at West Ham, or excuse me, against Southampton, a Fulham collapse and a West Ham holding on to it at the end. So again, a lot of action took place in the Premier League, and we will be going over all of it in our podcast today. But first, Adam, first, first. I'll do a quick plug. False Nines, you can find us on all of your Coming Home Newcastle-related media, Coming Home Newcastle, CHN underscore podcasts on Twitter, Coming Home Newcastle on wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify Apple Music, Google, any other. I don't know any other platform names for podcasts, but they do exist. Can um, you get Apple yeah. Podcasts on Apple Music? Does it work like that? I have no idea. You can. Uh, yeah. Or no, no, no. That's a that's a separate. It's a separate entity. It's podcast. Apple Podcasts and Apple Music. Because you um, can get podcasts on Spotify Music. Correct. Yes, Spotify is a condensed platform, if you will. Um, but yeah, follow us on wherever you get your info. Um, and without any further ado, Adam, trivia question. This has become quickly my favorite part of the podcast. So what do you what do you have for us today for our EPL trivia of the bi-weekly um, cadence? I love it. I'll, I'll add also, Zach, it's great to have you back. 
haven't said that yet. Um, I was thinking that. about the Den- shit about the Denver Nuggets because um, I-, I know you're a huge fan of them now. But it is nice to have you back, sir. That's very kind. Welcome back home. All right, EPL <laughs> trivia. I'm not going to go easy on you just because you had COVID, though. This is going to be a good EPL trivia question this week, Zach. Love it. It's a good one. Who is the only non-British player to make more than 500 Premier League appearances? Non-British player more than 500. I love that. That's a very interesting one. Okay. Yep. All right. You want to repeat that one more time? Yep. Who is the only non-British player to make more than 500 English Premier League appearances? Uh, Okay. All right. More clues to come later in the podcast. More, uh, excuse me, sorry, one more time before we hop into it. More than 500 Premier League appearances or appearances for a Premier League club? More hun- more than 500 Premier League appearances. I will give you some clues gotcha. later on, but it's for more than one club in the Premier League. Gotcha. Okay, so I the only thing I was trying to figure out there was if it was total All appearances for the... For the gotcha. Yep. Okay, Premier yep. League appearances, pre- appearances in the Premier League. Premier League player, Premier League appearances. Yes, non-British. <laughs> Player, how many? <laughs> Who is? Premier League. <laughs> um, all right. You got this. Sweet. Uh, okay, so let, let's hop right into it, Adam, because it was a packed weekend of fixtures. Uh, the first one that we will be chatting about today, that Man City win over Leicester. Man City getting a 2-0 win to continue their uh, kind of, uh, I would say at this point, a leisurely walk towards the title. Um, obviously, there wasn't really any sort of expectation here that Man City would necessarily drop points, but obviously with Leicester having the the season that they are having, uh, there was some suspicion that maybe Leicester could, you know, maybe perhaps get a point or even get lucky and, and get three off them, but it wasn't to be and what ended up being a, a fairly comfortable win for Manchester City. Yeah, it did. Um, and I, I don't know that this necessarily surprised anyone that this was the case, um, but usually Leicester don't get held off the score sheet in games. So more good defensive work for Manchester City, who've really upped that side of their game this season, leading the league with only 21 goals conceded on the season. I was just looking at this game and um, the subs that came off the bench, Zach, for, for Manchester City, mouthwatering. Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, and Ferran Torres came off the bench for Manchester. Imagine being able to call upon that wealth of talent as any other club in the Premier League from your bench. Yeah, uh, unbelievable, truly. I mean, the the Sterling and Foden in particular, like that, those would be the, uh, assuming that a, a team is playing a formation with wingers, that would be your starting left and right winger on at literally any other team, maybe not named Liverpool in the in the Premier League. So uh, as you said, that that's that's what Manchester City has largely become known for is just this depth uh, and talent. And Phil Foden again today in the Champions League getting a, a game-winning goal for Manchester City against Dortmund. So just showing that the the quality that both of those young English players have. But um yeah, again, fairly comfortable win for City. Uh, it was um a, a bit interesting to have this match very quickly following the announcement that Sergio Aguero will not be coming back to City next season. Uh, you know, Aguero known as one of, I would say, in my opinion, you could call it like a core 
not maybe not a core four, but maybe a core five of players who are kind of you know the identity players for City in the in the last fifteen years since their resurrection. Um, the the five players I would say it would be is Aguero, Yaya Torre, David Silva, um, Vincent Company, and I, I honestly I would put I would put um, I would put uh, Jeez Louise. I'm, forgetting on the name really quickly uh <laughs> left back eastern european uh i, I was yeah. call her off yeah mm-hmm. yeah Kalar so, was a good player for them as well um i, I agree that that, that, that kind of summed up i think the the difference makers for city over the years recent years i'd say probably de Bruyne. um but again definitely. i think we're talking about the formative years where they got the investment and they kind of changed the the way that their fortunes had been going as a club in terms of the silverware that they're bringing in and the level of manager they're bringing in. Those were the, those were the real marquee signings apart from Robinho who didn't quite pan out the way that they wanted to. He was the, <laughs> he was, he was the first on that list. Um, the future until he wasn't. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so Sergio Aguero, I, I just want to kind of pause on him for a second. Yeah. He played this game. He didn't score in this game. Um, he's obviously on his way out at the end of the season, as you mentioned, but to where? Where does he go next, Zach? Where would be a logical place for Aguero to go next? Does he stay in the Premier League? Does he go back to Spain? He came from Atletico Madrid. Does he go home to Argentina? Where, where, do, you, where do you see his next step? He's 32 years of old right now. He certainly has a few more years left, I might say. It, that is kind of the pertinent question at the moment. I, I read an article by The Athletic kind of listing potential uh, next spots for Sergio Aguero. And the one that really, I I think, resonates with me in this, maybe not a specific team, but more of a destination, is Serie A. And I think a move to Serie A makes a lot of sense for Aguero and for a number of reasons. The first of which is we we see that a lot with um, Argentinian players in the Premier League moving over to Serie A. Um, Even if they're not coming from the Premier League, just there is a heavy Argentinian presence in the Italian league, everyone kind of knows that, you know, the history of connection between Argentina and Italy. Um, and I, I think that the style of play in Syria fits Aguero quite nicely. It's, you know, not necessarily a, a speed game that you might see in, um, in uh, I would say the Bundesliga or uh, La Liga in Spain, uh, kind of more of that more tactical uh gritty, if you will, style of play. And I, I think that at this period in Aguero's career and with the skill set that he has, that fits him well. So whether it's to Juventus to, to pair up with you know other superstars like Cristiano Ronaldo or a move to Milan or to Rome, I, I could see that being a very likely destination for Aguero because although he has said he wants to end his career in Argentina, I don't think he's quite at that point yet. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't, I don't necessarily think the time is right for him to be kind of like going back to an inferior league. I think he has more top-level um, football in him. I think you're, you're, you're right that um, Italy is a good shout. I think also anywhere in Germany would be a good shout as well. Definitely. Um, hasn't played there yet in his career, so I thought that would be like a nice landing spot for him. Um, you know, if Holland leaves um, Dortmund, I know that's not really the MO there. They like to have young players, but be a great person for a lot of the younger players to learn from. Um, and at this stage in his career, I don't think he's expecting to play every week, certainly not at a top club like that. So I think that might be a good good fit for him, maybe a Dortmund or potentially, you know, a, a bit part player for, for Bayern Munich as well in that top class team. Yeah, I like that. I like that, Chad. Dortmund would be interesting, especially because 
a, a club known for cultivating so much young talent, you can bring in uh, a seasoned veteran and have him, as you mentioned, kind of be that teacher, being able to bring players into the fold um, with also, as, as you alluded to, the departure of Erling Holland pretty imminent for this upcoming summer just depends on what that price will be and, and what his destination is. But um, yeah, our old we'll Tim our cats caps to Aguero. Perhaps at the end of the season, we'll do a kind of farewell section or even maybe a full episode to players that are leaving the Premier League. And Aguero, um, I think, ranks in pretty much everybody's top five, if not higher, uh, for Premier League strikers of all time. Um, so uh, yeah. a, a, truly a legend in the English game. Top top class player for sure. Um, before we move on from Aguero, just on this topic, um, if he stays in the Premier League, what's the one club that he would be most likely to sign for? Throw it out there right now. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur because Harry Kane leaves this summer. Ooh, um, I would say Arsenal because Christ, they need it right now. Yeah, that's yeah, that that's a good one too. I I actually don't. I mean, I. The argument against both of those clubs is: Would he take the step away from the the Champions League? That's the one question. Would he be willing to play for a club that is not consistently in the Premier or in the uh, Champions League? But I mean, tactically, Spurs, both of those Spurs are could fit. still make Spurs could still make the Champions League. Zach, only three points back. Oh, uh, I don't think so. I don't think Spurs have a shot. I think there are three better clubs competing for fourth than Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, I never said that there weren't three better clubs. I'm just saying that I think Spurs still, on paper, have a shot at the Champions League. Anyway, I digress. Uh, before we pivot away from this game, Leicester, I want to stop here. This was about the time last season, need I remind you, I'm sure you remember, that Leicester really started falling off um, yeah. and fell out of the top four after looking dominant from Christmas, really, um, and guaranteed to make a, make a top four spot in second place in the league. Then they're now in third. They are five points ahead of Chelsea, same number of games played, who sit fifth, who are trying to catch them. The next three games for, for Leicester, West Ham away, Man U, oh, sorry, the, they still have in the remaining fixtures, I should say, excuse me, West Ham away, Man U away, Chelsea away, and Spurs at home. That is in their last eight games to play for those fixtures. They could potentially give up points in those against teams around them. So I'm going to ask you now, Take off your Leicester shirt and hat for a minute and tell me, do you honestly think that Leicester will hang on to a Champions League this spot this season? I do. I, I definitely do. Um, I'll, I'll, put my, I'll put my money on that one. I, I think that although, yes, they, they do have a tough run of fixtures coming up, I mean, it's tough to take, to take a game against the best team in the Premier League um, and have that be indicative of all of their future performances. And I know you're not necessarily doing that, but um, I think that Leicester is a good enough team to, first of all, not lose all of those games. And maybe it's not necessarily a, a case of them, you know, winning and and going on some sort of win streak as much as it, it's a case of uh, the fact that they are four points above fourth, four, fourth place West Ham and five points above uh, fifth place Chelsea. So I think that that gap is enough that will keep them in the top four. Um, I also think that they're good enough to beat, you know, two or three of those teams that you just mentioned uh, in their remaining fixtures. I think a lot of those teams are playing some inconsistent football at the moment. So um, it, it might be, it might be tough and it might come down to the final day, but I do think that Leicester will make the Champions League next season. Yep. Okay. Sounds good. Um, I just want to ask you your honest opinion on that. They, Got to check they the pulse. Have, I understand that. They do have a semifinal in the FA Cup against Southampton in two weeks' time as well, which I think is going to be uh, big for them. So 
hopefully they they have eyes on both the FA Cup and the Premier League's thing. We'll see. All right, moving on to our next game from the weekend. Um, I think a lot of people expected this one to be a little bit more competitive, especially considering recent form. Liverpool went to the Emirates, to Arsenal, and won 3-0, really putting themselves firmly back in the hunt for a top four spot. What did you make of this one, Zach? Yeah, uh, this was a, a very entertaining fixture. And interestingly enough for Liverpool, and I think a little bit against the grain, more entertaining in the second half than it was uh, in the first half. Usually you kind of see Liverpool coming out to a hot start and getting goals, um, goals pluralized being the, the operative word there in the first half. But this one, we, we really did need to wait for the second half um, and wait for Diogo Jota, who coming off the bench, super sub at the top of his game, uh, giving the second and third goal for Liverpool to kind of run away with this one. Um, Jota, one of the signings of the season, I think that he will he would have been a lot higher regarded if he didn't have that injury spell in the middle of the season. But yeah, he's proving uh, money well spent for Liverpool and also potentially a really, really sound preparation by uh, if rumors that you know one or multiple of the front three at Liverpool might be leaving in the next uh, in the summer or in the next year to come Diogo Jota seems like he can slot into that top three and provide the same level of output as any of those players have done yep I think that's a great great shout I think J Jota is a top class player to your point the injury really hindered his season interesting in this one and in the game today against Real Madrid, he didn't start in either of those two games. Jurgen Klopp sticking with the famed front three, if you will. Um, and I thought in this game was quite interesting. Arsenal sat off Liverpool. There's a lot of respect there, um, perhaps a bit too much respect. I think they're a team that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe on their day with anybody Arsenal are. Martin Odegaard has been really, really good recently. Been impressed yeah. with him and the impact that he has made. Um, but, but again, I think they just kind of sat off and let Liverpool do their thing, and they were duly punished for it in the second half of the game. So I think one of the talking points coming into the game, um, based on the fact that we were coming out of the international break, was Trent Alexander-Arnold's omission from the England squad. I want to get your take on this one. I thought it was an interesting move by Southgate to do so in the group of fixtures internationally right before the Euros take place. It was almost like he was really setting expectations for who he'd be bringing to the Euros in the 23-man squad. Trent Alexander-Arnold a year ago, you would said, literally would be a shoo-in to start every single game in the Euros for England had it had it happened at the, the time it was supposed to, if it were not for COVID. So interesting to see now how fortunes have changed, how his confidence seemed to have dipped. He had another shocker today against Real Madrid, um, and he had, but he had an assist in this one for the opening goal for Diogo Jota. What's your take on Alexander Arnold at this point? So it's almost kind of like the Gareth Bale conversation, although Bale has played himself into form now. But a couple of months ago, people were like, do you put him in the squad based on his reputation and merit alone? Or do you really truly look at who's deserving of it based on current form, even if the ceiling is maybe a little bit lower for those players? I think that's a really interesting comparison between Bale and Trent Alexander-Arnold, players who are quite literally at the opposite ends of their respective careers. Bale, you know, at, at kind of tailing off, if you will, um, maybe not in quality, but more so in, you know, the place that he holds at the club he's at and and just in world football. Whereas Alexander-Arnold, as you mentioned a year ago, you, you, would, you would not only say that he's one of the first men on the team sheet, but even potentially a captain candidate for 
England um, alongside Harry Kane. So I think that it, it has been really interesting to see the the slip that he has found. One of the few players on Liverpool that hasn't gotten injured this year, but has simply just not been in great form. Uh, obviously, there are connections to be drawn between the injuries that they've suffered and the way in which his game kind of no longer fits in their system as well as it might have done in the past. Uh, we were talking before the episode about a, a couple of players that could take that right back spot for England. And I think the biggest name there is Kieran Trippier, a player who made a move away from the Premier League a few years ago, but uh, is really tearing it up in La Liga this year for Atletico Madrid and competing for a title in what is an extremely close La Liga race. Um, the one demerit for him in the world of Gareth Southgate might be that he doesn't play in the Premier League. And Gareth Southgate is a man that is constantly accused of kind of being a bit of a homer, if you will, a, a guy who really leans toward those high headline, you know, players in the Premier League who are known to the, the whole uh, contingent of the fandom, largely because they play in the domestic league. So I think on performance, you have to question if Trent Alexander-Arnold is the player for this team. But as you alluded to before the episode, and I'd be interested to hear more on your take on this, if it's maybe even a case that Trent Alexander-Arnold doesn't fit into the exact system that Gareth Southgate wants to play, um, as it is quite different than the uh, system that is played at Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, that, that was something I thought that was important to mention, right? Southgate like is a defender. He likes to keep it tight at the back. Um, he England, under Southgate, have not conceded a ton of goals. Uh, they very much build around a very strong defensive team. Um, and have a lot of pace um, going down the wings as well um, to really supply Harry Kane up top, right? They have that, that formation that really serves having a tight back line. And, you know, I, I want to kind of like throw out the four people who are really truly under consideration and think about like, as a result of that, who would you take if you could take two of them? You've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, you've got Reese James, you've got Kyle Walker, and you've got Kieran Trippier, Right. We know Southgate prefers a little bit more of a defensive team. I think of those four people based on current form and how often they are playing, I think Kieran Trippier is probably the first name on that list for me. Um, I think I would, I, would, I, would, I would make a case that he starts at right back for England in the Euros. Um, and then I'm thinking, well, what sort of versatility do I potentially want? Do I want Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's not in form, who can add a little bit more going forward, but I've got so many creative midfielders as Gareth Southgate, so many players that I can put into that team that can create going forward. Do I need Trent Alexander-Arnold? Do I need a little bit more versatility? And that's why I think I landed on Kyle Walker as my second person, because heck, that guy can play in goal if you need him. Um, he has done for Manchester City mm -hmm. in Champions League, right? This is true. <laughs> he, can, he can play all across the defense, right? And I think he's just, he's very dependable. I think um, they couldn't go wrong with Walker and Trippier as the two right backs that they take. Reese James' time will come. I think he's a great prospect. I don't think that they necessarily need to roll the dice on him in a 23-man squad right now. He's had a good season, but he's been playing less since Tuchel has come in. And in, in my eyes, I don't think Trent Alexander-Arnold is meriting of a spot in the Euros at this point. Those are all fantastic points. I, I think the point about the defensive mindset with your fullbacks when you have a team just stock full of creative mid midfielders is a really astute one. And what is also, you spoke to Walker's versatility, even the ability to go to a five, 
uh, man defense and put him in center back, go to a three man defense. Again, putting him in center back, uh, you have that versatility and Trent Alexander Arnold is an out and out attacking wing back. That is what he plays and where he slots into a team. Uh, so I, I mean, he, he has actually played at midfield at Liverpool this season, largely due to all the injuries that they've had. But I, I think Trippier, number one, and then Walker or Reese James would be number two. I agree that Reese James has been very inconsistent this season. There have been stretches where he has been found out by opponents. So I'm not sure if he's there yet, but it, it'll be, I think that Alexander Arnold will make the team be, largely because of what I mentioned before about kind of the name brand of players that Southgate likes to have. But I think that um, he should not at all feel like his spot on that team is sealed. And nor do I feel that he uh, is under that impression at this point in time. To clarify that you said he'd make the team. Do you mean the squad or do you think he starts in the opener? No, I, I, I mean the, the squad, the, I I think he makes the line or the, uh, the roster, if you will, but I, I don't necessarily think that he starts. I I think right now it's Kieran Trippier's role to lose. Gotcha. Yeah. I would, I would tend to agree with that. Um, Great, great conversation on that. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how the end of the season pans out for Liverpool. Um, Looks like they might be on the way out of the champions league, but obviously still plenty to play for there after a three, one loss at Real Madrid today. So, so we will see. All right, let's get into Chelsea. <laughs> Who saw this one coming, Zach? Insane. Two goals conceded. We've, we've harped on this so much. Two goals conceded in 14 games in all competitions under Tuchel. Um, really now just renowned for having a tight back line. Um, I can tell you that my brother-in-law lost money on this one. Um, he had the accumulator where he had Chelsea at home against West Brom all day, every day. And the final score in this game was Chelsea 2, West Brom Five. Chelsea shipped five goals to a team that had at that point scored 20 goals the entire season in 2019. Quite quite incredible, right? Um, what happened? How, how do we explain this anomaly that nobody saw coming? I I certainly can. I'm <laughs> as a you know as a DIY podcaster. I'm not the man who you should be asking how <laughs> how this uh, came together. I, yeah. I, West Brom, a team that uh, one of the lowest scoring teams in the Premier League. Uh, West Brom, a team that besides uh, the game at Newcastle has picked up, I think it's what, like four points in the last seven games or something, something unbelievable like that. And uh, yeah, the most shock finish uh, that You've, you've seen in a long time. A lot of weird things about this game. Uh, one of them, Christian Pulisic scoring in the first half and getting taken out at halftime. I don't. I would love to, to see some deep analytical person be able to tell me the last time that somebody scored in the first half and then was taken out at the break, uh, not due to an injury. So obviously I'm not, I'm not saying that Chelsea gave up five goals at home because Christian Pulisic came out of that game. But yeah, just a, a bizarre game as a whole. Um, do I think that West Brom has a chance at surviving? Not exactly. I think that being uh, 11 points back of Brighton in 16th, um, I, I point out Brighton because there is still another team ahead of West Brom in the relegation zone. So you kind of have to be looking at the two teams outside the uh, drop zone rather than just Newcastle in 17th. I think that gap is a bit too uh, far, especially with Brighton playing some good football recently. But yeah, this will definitely go down as one of the the shock, mindless results of the season, without a doubt. Yeah, I thought it was a strange one. I don't really have an explanation for it either. But West Ham 
came and were uh, sorry, West Brom, excuse me, came and were competitive. Um, certainly came, yeah. came as if they wanted to play in the game. They had seven shots on target of the five goals that they scored. So um, just one of the, one of those performances where you kind of left scratching your head a little bit at the end, but it was thoroughly deserved. Um, I thought they came in and they, they gave a great account of themselves. So credit to Big Sam. The next three games, you mentioned chances for survival for West Brom. Certainly looks like it might be a stretch. They're currently eight points behind Newcastle sitting in 18th. Uh, with a far inferior goal difference. So let's essentially call that nine points with eight games to go. Next three games, Southampton home, Leicester away, Villa away. I mean, they've got some chances to pick up some points there. Um, Villa are not as intimidating as they once were. Southampton, you never know where you'll get with them. Leicester, probably a loss there. Um, but, you know, you just never know with with the Sam Allardyce team, right? If, he, if he's able to put it together, they have the same seven points from the last five games as the same return um, as you can accredit to West Ham and the same return as you can accredit to Leicester City in the top half of the league as well. So, you know, they're not they're not in bad form right now. So fingers crossed they do not catch us in 17th, um, Zach, but uh, should be an interesting last eight games of the season for the Baggies. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Sam Allen has brought in to do literally one job and a, a 5-2 win away at Chelsea is um, indicative of a job well done. The question, as as you kind of said there, is is it is it too little, too late, or can they put together a uh, a Leicester City a la 2014-15 season end of the season survival? That is the reference that I think would would be best uh, applicable to what West Brom will need to do in order to survive in the Premier League this year. They will need small miracles. It is true. All right. Well, we'll get into the, that was the Saturday games. We'll get into the Sunday games after a quick break. But before we do, I wanted to give you my first clue for EPL trivia here tonight, Zach. And before I give you that clue, just a reminder on the question, who is the only non-British player to make more than 500 Premier League appearances? Here's your first clue, Zachary. Okay. He He played for Middlesbrough and Fulham during his Premier League career those were the only two premier league clubs that he played for in his career at the time that he played for them. that is tough a middle for a shout definitely winds back the clock quite a bit so i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to reach deep in the bag for this one adam <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a he's a very well-known player um okay. certainly on an, an on an international stage as well um so clue number two coming just before the end of the pod when we'll announce the answers there. awesome sweet well yeah let's take a quick break right now. When we will come back, we will start you out with a wrap-up of the Newcastle game. We're back on the false nines, joking around here, having some laughs. It is the second half of our podcast on this uh, ra- this rare rainy night in Denver. I don't remember the last time it, it rained uh, here in the Mile High City. But um, how can I how can I transition that? Uh, reigning with goals in the beginning of the first half and end of the second half was Newcastle United getting a 2-2 draw against Tottenham Hotspur, another result that you probably would not have uh, expected over the weekend. This one really credited to uh, a, a handful of players for Newcastle. I'd say the men of the match, uh, Joe Linton, top of that list, with a goal and a, I, I guess, would you call it a hockey assist for the Willick equalizer? Um, and then Joe Willick needs to be on that conversation as well, only at a handful of minutes, but really made that impact. Uh, and to round off this arbitrary list, I'll say that Matt Ritchie is the third man of the match 
for Newcastle on this one. But overall, a a really, really gritty and a really, and this is something I haven't said about Newcastle one time this season, a really well-organized performance besides a, a three minutes of horror stretch in the first half. Yeah, we kind of switched off after the goal from Joel Linton. You're absolutely right. Another player I'd probably throw on that list is Jacob Murphy. I thought Murphy Jacob had Murphy. Definitely. Another, another great, great game um, on the Newcastle side. But I think, you know, Joel Linton is earning all the plaudits, and rightly so. I think he's, you know, he's never going to be that 20 goals a season striker that, that Newcastle fans had thought he would be when we signed him. But um, I would say the last four or five games, he's been probably Newcastle's most consistent player just putting in solid performance after solid performance, not necessarily from a goal standpoint, um, but really kind of giving his all and putting his energy and effort into everything that he is doing on the field for Newcastle. Got a little bit more of a healthy respect for him after the last stretch of games for, for Newcastle. So to your point, Joe Linton took the lead for us. Um, Sean Longstaff had come back into the team. Aside from an assist here that was really created by Richie's tenacity, I thought Longstaff was poor. In this game, I think we started the wrong Longstaff brother. Um, oh, and definitely. Probably should have had Maddie starting in this game, but but I digress. I mean, we were happy at least that Jeff Hendrick was not starting this game, <laughs> and it was Longstaff that came in for Hayden instead, right? So, yeah, credit, credit, credit where it's due. We didn't we didn't go with the obvious Hendrick. We went with probably the wrong Longstaff brother, but maybe option two instead of option three on the of op- option one on the list um, from a team selection standpoint. My long-winded way of saying, Zach, that essentially we took the lead. <laughs> Harry Kane made us his bitch for five minutes. And, <laughs> and in the second half, we played a lot better. Um, we played some good football, very attacking, high press. Um, and, you know, we had Will, Will it come off the bench with the um, the goal of really making an impact because it was the first time that he'd actually come off the bench since he started on loan. And mm-hmm. he got that equalizer for us against, of all teams, as an Arsenal boyhood fan. Spurs. So obviously he really enjoyed that one as well. Um, great, great game. Really fun to watch. Probably one of the best games I've seen Newcastle play this season. But again, defensive lapses. Can we just never play Emil Kraft again in this side? Like oh, you, you, in any position. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> in any position. You set me up well there because I was going to say I saw a tweet after this game that said the only thing that makes Newcastle fans more frustrated than seeing Emil Kraft at right back is seeing Emil Kraft at center back, which is what we saw for the bulk of this game. Yeah, I I mean, I do think I, I will – I'm not going to necessarily say I'll defend Kraft, but I will say that it's on Bruce to play a player who has never played center back before coming to Newcastle at center back. I think that that's a mistake that, that puts – it puts Kraft in a situation to fail there, but do I think that – uh, the Swedish international offers pretty much anything at Newcastle. No, I think he, you know, you can make a good case that he's perhaps the 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 winner of worst player on Newcastle uh, this season. It's him and Jeff Hendrick really duking it out in the in the training pitch for that one. Uh, but yeah, it, it was tough to see him starting. I think that uh, on the list of central midfielders that should be playing, Willick needs to be starting every game between now and the end of the season, in my opinion. I think that he is one of the more spirited players on the team, uh, which in a way speaks pretty poorly about players like John Joe Shelby, who have been at Newcastle for a number of years and offer almost nothing in terms of passion and and really that grit in midfield. But uh, Willick and Matty Longstaff would buy, be my two picks, although uh, we, we know that John Joe Shelby will be starting every single game under at Newcastle until Steve Bruce 
uh, is out of a job. I just wish that it would be a midfield. If we were going to do a midfield three, it would be uh, Almiron in front of Willick and uh, Matty Longstaff. I think that would be the ideal package. I was going to get my joke in about um, Emil Kraft as well there when you said, should I defend Emil Kraft? The answer is yes, because Christ knows Emil Kraft can't defend um, I Nice. I saw that set up there. That was good. <laughs> that was very, very solid. Um, on another note here, I thought something that was quite interesting, this is the best we've looked in some time, it coincided with Ryan Fraser not starting the game. We played Joe Linton and Gale up top, and we looked infinitely better in this game with that front yeah. two than, than we have with Ryan Fraser in any position that he has played in. Where's your head at as far as Ryan Fraser is concerned? I, he's been played out of position. That's been well documented. Right? We've played him as a center forward and Gale on the wing and wondered what the heck Bruce is doing. But do we need Ryan Fraser in this team? Do we have a better chance with him in this team to survive, I guess? Well, I think you kind of touched on it there. I think it really depends on two things. It depends on what formation Newcastle is playing because Ryan Fraser is a, a right winger or a right midfielder and nothing else. I think that that needs to be really, really emphasized here that that is the one position that Ryan Fraser excels at and, or maybe not excels all the time, but he really, that, that is where he finds his fit. And I think that that is largely why he has been such a disappointment at Newcastle is Steve Bruce has put him all over the pitch. We've seen him at striker. We've seen him on the left side of the field. We've seen him in the 10 a number of times. And none of that is where he can contribute as a player. You know, that season where he really made his name for Bournemouth getting his, what was it? 13 assists, I believe in, the 2017 season, it was all at right winger. It was all providing the balls to Josh King, to Callum Wilson. So do I think that Ryan Frazier should be a first name on the team sheet? No, not necessarily. But if you're playing a formation, a 4-2-3-1, a 4-3-3, or anything where you have wide players, Ryan Frazier is the guy that you want to be put on right wing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he needs to be starting every single match. Yeah, to your point, you know, Willett came off the bench in this game and was very much an impact sub. I've been more impressed in the games where Fraser has come off the bench than I have in the games that he started. I think he's made impacts. He's come off the bench and hung in some nice crosses. I think he set up a goal. Uh, might have been against Wolves, if I remember that one correctly, where he he hung in a yep. cross for that one. Um, Definitely. So, so a player that I think can make an impact. I don't think we need him to start every game. Certainly not with ASM coming back into the team and probably going to be starting the majority um, of games uh, alongside other players. Uh, just not sold on him yet. I think he's a little bit of a mercenary still. Don't love the way that he exited Bournemouth last year and could see him doing something similar at Newcastle. This. Fair enough. Yeah, I think I think that's a good shout. Let's let's give a, a little bit of time to, to Tottenham Hotspur on this one before we move on. Not nearly the amount of time that we'll give to Newcastle United being Newcastle United lads uh but spurs another another failure over jose Mourinho, another time where they had an opportunity to advance themselves in the table especially with chelsea having lost the day before so the um you know the opportunity was truly right there in front of them um but who i i know a lot of spurs fans not just my my father my brother a number of my coworkers, and it really does feel like the patience for the quote-unquote Jose experiment um, 
is is pretty much running thin. I, I don't think that very, you could find very many Spurs fans that think he is the man to lead them into the future uh, with the players that they have. Yeah, it's it's really interesting one. Um, uh, he's actually a higher favorite on the bookies list of next manager sack than Steve Bruce is. I think that's a very intelligent bookies who who know that Steve Bruce is not getting sacked regardless of what happened. So I I would I would think I would I would say a, a bet on Steve Bruce to get sacked is one of the worst bets you can make in in football right now. <laughs> I mean that's a, that's a fair point, right? There are different different chairmen with different mentalities and different exactly. attitudes towards success. Um, so I think that's fair. But at the same time, I think you know this isn't a great Spurs team necessarily. Um, to watch. They think they're a little bit more defensive, but they've still scored 51 goals this season. Um, that is higher than the two teams immediately above them in Chelsea and West Ham. Chelsea with an obviously amazing attack to be able to call upon. Um, and they've conceded 32, so they've had a pretty tight defense. They just haven't really been able to pull out the wins in the games they've needed to. Like this one, dro they've dropped basically um, four points against Newcastle. When you think about the reverse fixture where we got the late penalty with Andy Carroll having the ball against the defender's arm and Callum Wilson slotting away the goal in injury time, right? They've given up four points in those games. You add those points in, you know, they're they're clear in, in fourth place. It's it's interesting. He's just not really grinding out the results the same way Jose used to. And, you know, it's not the Spurs fans will say it's not the most attractive football out there. But if it was effective, I don't think they would mind. And the problem is it's not effective right now. Certainly. I, I think you, you touched upon all of it there. It's Jose not being a good fit for, you know, the ingredients in front of him. Uh, no, Nobody has ever accused Jose Mourinho of being a quick, counterattacking, uh, offensive juggernaut of a manager. And I think that that's like the opportunity that you have at Tottenham Hotspur. I think saying an offensive juggernaut is a, a bit of an overstatement. A lot of those... Uh, 51 goals that you just mentioned can be attributed to the scorching start that they had at the beginning of the season, and they have cooled off a bit since then. But you know, you have oodles of talent on that team from an attacking perspective. Harry Kane, we need not, you know, give him the plaudits as everyone knows he is a world class striker uh, through and through. Hyung Min Son talked about him a ton on this podcast, a, a world-class winger on his day um, and another player who can play in several positions. And then you also have a handful of very high-class players. I think Steven Bergwijn is a player that I've really enjoyed watching develop. I think that um, you know the, the attacking prowess that comes off the bench for them, whether it's even Harry Winks can offer something going forward. You see Giovanni Lo Celso, who has kind of come into his own at Tottenham Hotspur, um, but it just doesn't work for Jose Mourinho. And if there's one thing you know about Jose, it's that he is not going to change his ways for the players in front of him. And I think that's the issue at Tottenham is neither side is going to blink. Uh, Young Minson is not going to become a deep line midfielder, and, and Jose Mourinho is not going to become, uh, you know, the Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp of attacking football. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I personally don't think, and we've, we've talked about this before, that Spurs are any better off right now than they were under Pochettino. I think they stand stood just as much chance, if not more, of winning trophies under Pochettino as they do now under Jose Mourinho, right? Um, yeah. He's he's not he's not necessarily the same Jose that we saw in Chelsea. Hundred percent. I think that's that's all you really kind of need to say about Tottenham. And I, I think that every Tottenham supporter would pretty much say the exact same thing. Yep. All right. So on to um, another basement battle. Well that wasn't really 
basement battle. Bad transition, Adam, but it was a basement battle nonetheless. Burnley at Southampton, 2-0 up at halftime, lose 3-2 to Southampton. Could be an expensive one for them to throw away, Zach. I'm, I'm quite curious what you think about this. Now, Southampton are on 36 points. They're in 13th spot. They are uh, 10 points clear of the relegation zone with eight games to play. I'd say I feel, feel pretty confident now that Southampton are safe. Burnley, on the other hand, are on 33 points. They are three, four points ahead of Newcastle. But guess who comes to town this weekend? Burnley could potentially get dragged back into it if Newcastle can win at Turf Moor on Sunday. What do you think, Zach? They can definitely get dragged right back into it. Burnley, uh, you know, a team, again, I, I think a good transition there, Adam, would have been Burnley, a team that also has never been accused of being an offensive juggernaut. Uh, but, but, yeah, it was a it was a, a, a choke job uh, for, for the Clarets in this one. Southampton, uh, a team that is pretty much known to be able to take points off of anybody in the Premier League. They, they're they kind of like, I, I would say they're almost like the, the league-wide boogeyman in a way, um, in the sense of like, you never know who South, or excuse me, who Southampton uh, will beat on any given day. Talking about Southampton, not Burnley as the boogeyman of, of the league. Uh, but yeah, Burnley not playing fantastic football as of recently. They did get a win in their match before this, but before that it was, believe five matches uh, before their last victory. Um, and as it always becomes, it, it's kind of a race to the bottom, right? With the uh, the relegation spots, Southampton, I think easily safe now. They're not going to go down. They've, there are several teams worse than them in the Premier League. But uh, Burnley, as you said, it's a six-pointer um, by textbook definition this weekend against Newcastle. And if they lose that one, they are they are right back in it. Yep, absolutely. I think, you know, this is the game, you know, we, we couldn't get up for the Brighton game, Newcastle. We have to get up for the Burnley. And get up we will, Zach, because it's at 5 a.m. Mountain Time on Sunday. I guarantee you won't be watching that one, my friend. Oh, I have no comment on that one. That's that's tough to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I hate to hear that. <laughs> All right, on to Fulham, um, team in 18th right now. Fulham, who had the opportunity in this game, despite Newcastle's point against Spurs, if they won because of their superior goal difference to go level with Newcastle on points and hop out of the bottom three on goal difference. Um, Zach, they, they started well. They, they looked pretty confident here. Uh, we had Alexander Mitrovic, of all people, putting temporarily Newcastle back into the bottom three for a total of about 18 minutes. And then our Lord and Savior, Trezeguet, came off the bench and turned this game around. And Newcastle fans everywhere were delirious. Um, New Villa doing us a favor again, just as they did when Jack Grealish won us the championship against Brighton uh, and coming up big in the second half of this game for a 3-1 victory. It was a little nervy here for a while, Zach, but um, you know it, it ended up being a pretty solid weekend for Newcastle all around, and Fulham will be disappointed with their recent form. Definitely. This was points dropped in, in every sort of way. Uh, for Fulham, especially with how they've played recently and uh, the the discipline that they have shown uh, going away and you know getting points away from home, getting uh, points at home. Fulham definitely has seemed like that that danger team. Uh, although you know they they have kind of come up empty-handed in uh, their last handful of matches, but this is um, you know like you said, Trezeguet was kind of the man of the match for 
Villa, I, I think you could make an interesting argument for him being the man of the player of the season for Aston Villa this year with Jack Grealish having missed a quite considerable amount of matches. And Trezeguet has been pretty consistent in providing that offensive output. But yeah, for Fulham, it, it is a question of how quickly can you rebound, right? You have to have a very short-term memory when you're in a relegation fight in the Premier League. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if you watched the interview between Alan Shearer and Scotty Parker on the weekend. Uh, an interesting one it was. And he, Alan Shearer pretty bluntly asked uh, Scotty Parker, you know, how do you battle in a relegation zone? And uh, to, to paraphrase a bit here, Scott Parker said, you need to be able to pick yourself up almost before you hit the ground. You need to be ready and honed in and knowing that, you know, dropped points means dropped points, but we can't be doing it again. Um, and that's obviously the question for Fulham is, can they kind of claw their way out of that three point deficit that they find themselves in with Newcastle right now? It's an interesting one, especially as you consider that their next game is actually on Friday. Um, so it's before the weekend fixtures, they're home against Wolves. Wolves who are in pretty crappy form themselves right now. Oh, yeah. So there, there's every chance that they could do that and they could put Newcastle into the bottom three before Newcastle play any games this weekend. So super interesting fixtures coming up. The other thing I wanted to kind of harp on here was normally a defensively solid team, Fulham, certainly in recent times. They gave up a couple sloppy goals in this one. And the other thing that I thought was notable in here was Adamola Lookman went off injured um, with an injury in the second half to his hamstring. So um, doubtful for the game on Friday, maybe for a game or two after that. He's been a big player for them in this recent resurgence that they've had. So that, that gives me a little bit of hope going into Friday's game. Definitely. I mean, it. Uh, yeah, I, my biggest fear this whole season uh, is that it will come down to the final day, the, the match between Newcastle and Fulham. And I think it's it's becoming fairly, I don't want to say likely, but fairly realistic that that is the case, especially with Newcastle and Fulham. I, I think have fairly similar and, and comparable runs of fixtures to end out the season in terms of just kind of the, the mix of uh, top half teams and, and lower half teams that both of the clubs play. So um, could very very easily see them picking up a very similar amount of points that, that brings it to that three-point gap uh, or less on the final day. Yeah, I think, you know, that Sheffield United game, second to last for Newcastle, will be super interesting because the rumors are that there will be fans allowed to be back in the stadium for that one. Really? Yep, that's uh, the, the first and only game that Newcastle will have fans at this season at St. James's Park, potentially. So, uh, obviously pending any changes that happen from a COVID standpoint, but that is the plan for the British government right now. So um, just from a Bruce standpoint of uh, the fans being able to vocalize their dis distaste for Bruce. Uh, and then off the back of that, um, trying to get some revenge against the Sheffield United side, going to Craven Cottage on the last game of the season makes for fantastic viewing. Certainly not for us as Newcastle fans, but as a neutral, it's certainly something that you can look forward to, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's entertainment for you. For, for some people, I'll, I'll have my nails down to the cuticles on that match, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. That's why we tune in. All right. So to wrap up our weekend fixtures, um, Monday night's fixture, uh, I think worth mentioning here, West Ham with a three, two win at Wolves um, came out of the gates flying in this one. And now they're flying in fourth spot in the premier league with eight games to go two nil up inside 20 minutes really held on uh, late on in this game. I think the story of this game was the performance again of one Jesse Lingard uh, running out of superlatives for this guy. 
over the last few weeks, six goals and eight appearances since he made his lone switch to, to the Hammers. Yeah, the, the uh, six goals and I believe it's three assists totaling nine goal contributions is the highest in the Premier League since the day that he made that switch. So again, Jesse Lingard has the most combined goals and assists in the entire Premier League since he moved over to West Ham. And uh, talk about players that might deserve a place on the England team sheet. I think that Jesse Lingard should be very, very staunchly in that conversation, despite the fact that attacking midfield is is where England is at its deepest. But yeah, a, a man possessed right now. His his goal in that match, just a, a really brilliant run and, and very comfortable and confident finish. Um, and then I, it wasn't actually his assist that impressed me the most. His assist was to, to Jared Bowen for their third goal. But uh, again, the, the maybe hockey assist that he had uh, for the second goal, the Pablo Fornals goal that West Ham scored. I don't know if you saw this, Adam, but reminiscent of one Dimitar Berbatov on that one with Jesse Lingard uh, running the ball, almost going over the touchline, and him just doing this delicate flick with his right foot to keep the ball in, um, and eventually that ball getting to Fornals for the goal. Uh, but yeah, Lingard has has really capitalized on this transfer and epitomized uh, the uh, really uh, exciting football that West Ham is playing this year. One of the more entertaining teams to watch, without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think as good as West Ham were in this game, you know, Wolves tried to do their part as well. I think over the course of the season, Wolves have been so, so disappointing. Um, and I pulled a stat here as well, if you saw it, but I look this up myself. In 20 games since Raul Jimenez was injured against Arsenal in November, Wolves has taken 18 points from a possible 60. Um, that's a pretty awful return when you think about this was a team that was competing in pretty far into the Europa League last season. And it just shows their dependence and their reliance on um, Jimenez to really kind of get the goals for that team. He's, he's a top, yeah. class, top class striker indeed, but there's plenty of talent on that Wolves team. Just not quite sure... If you think about kind of expectations versus reality on the season, you could make an argument that Wolves is one of the most disappointing teams in the Premier League this year. I think that's a great shout. I yeah, I think that um, everything was up for Wolves. You know, everything was trending upwards for Wolves over the past three seasons um, since they came back into the Premier League. And yeah, fourteenth has got it's a it's a huge disappointment. I, I think that the one. Uh, this sounds weird, but the one silver lining for Wolves on this season is that with the Jimenez injury, his um, stock in world football is is probably not terribly high. Um, just meaning that the the chance that they will you know get priced out of having to sell him isn't necessarily as significant as it might have been. You know, if he had another. 15 to 20 goal season and you had these big fish in world football coming after Jimenez. So uh, I think for them really right now it's survive, keep Jimenez, probably get some more pieces in defense in particular and be challenging for Europe again next year. I think that they need to be keeping that mentality. It can't be regressing to some mid table mentality after, you know, they made European football last year. Yep. I think that, you know, the chairman will have lots of patience with him, certainly considering the injury um, but to your point, you know, um, I, I would think he'd be largely disappointed in this season from, from Wolves as well. Anyway, I digress. Great job, West Ham. David Moyes again showing why he's going to be manager of the season this year. Quality, quality manager who is very, very underrated. So. 
people people really starting to offer a lot more appreciation for what he does now and credit to him he's had a great great season as a coach all right so that kind of wraps up our games quickly into top scorers and assisters the quick story here zach is harry kane's both of them top scorer and top assister in the premier league um he has 19 goals on the season currently um for as a top scorer put away, went, put away two against newcastle in this game mo salah is still there on 18 Bruno Fernandes on 16, and Calvert-Lewin and Bamford on 14. Really see that probably being a two-way race between Kane and Salah at this point with only eight games to go. And then assisting Harry Kane on 13, 11 for De Bruyne and Fernandes. You can see them certainly catching Harry Kane the way the season's panning out. Um, and then Youngman Son on nine assists as well. So, uh, all right, that's our roundup of the weekend games. Uh, we've got a couple more segments here, Armchair Pundits 10 and 90, and then our EPL trivia answer to go. Um, Armchair Pundit, Zach, have you got one prepared for me this week? I do, yeah. I'll, I'll go second on this one, Adam. I, I want to hear okay. yours first. Okay. Mine's a very quick and simple one. Shouldn't take too long. Erling Holland will sign for Manchester City this offseason. Hmm. Interesting. That is the hot topic in world football right now. All right. Um, do you have Do you have a case for it, or it's just kind of a, a blind opinion, if you will? It's It's more of a feeling, and a lot of it stems from the game today, right? You think about Holland himself, Alfinga Holland. I remember watching him play in the Premier League. It might have been a little bit before your time in terms of watching him live. He's a great player, um, most known for his altercation with Roy Keane, where Roy Keane really took him out and targeted him after um, the opposite happened, and Holland had injured Keane in an earlier game. Um, his father was really a great Manchester City player, and I think Holland will be drawn back to that club. I think that his father will speak really fondly of his experience at Manchester City, and I think they are a sort of team that could attract the best players in the world. They can afford his wages. They can afford the transfer fee. They can afford all of that, and he is a team that will – he is potentially going to be going to a team that will be competing every year in their league domestically um, and then also on a – UEFA Champions League level as well. I think Dortmund really don't necessarily have the legs to go long in that tournament. I think that they certainly will always get through the group stages, but generally aren't a team that I see really getting towards the end of the Champions League. I think Holland deserves to be playing in a team like that. He had an assist today. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some Manchester City um, kind of higher-ups getting in his ear while he's at the stadium today, <laughs> um, potentially getting in his ear at the Etihad. I think that would be unsurprising to me to hear that. And who wouldn't want to play under Pep Guardiola, right? The quality of players yeah. that they have on that team. Um, I just, I truly think that it's a logical next move for him. I see this way more likely than City signing Messi, than City signing Mbappe. I think mm -hmm. Holland is the name that I think uh, City will be most attracted by. And I think that Holland is the player that will sign for Manchester City in this offseason. That was a. Beautiful, beautiful thesis there, Adam. That was Thank a, you. A, fan, a fantastic, well-rounded uh, explanation as to, to why that'll happen. And I think a lot of that holds weight, whether it's the history of his, his father playing in Manchester, the unlimited resources that City has, the fact that, as we alluded to before, um, their, you know, their talismanic striker in Sergio Aguero is leaving and <laughs> We've talked time and time again about how Gabriel Jesus is not going to fill those boots entirely, and it seems like the perfect fit. I know that Pep Guardiola earlier this week uh, tried to kind of defuse rumors of a potential uh, move for 
uh, Erling Holland, I, you know, you take it, take it with a grain of salt. It, it could very well be some sort of political kind of game that uh, Pep knows very well. He might need to play in order to, to get that signature without too much uh, fuss in the media, but it really, really like there's, it's tough to say that that wouldn't be the perfect place for him to go, whether it's competing for the league, competing internationally and a team that you just see as being the ultimate, ultimate, fit for a striker of his both his caliber and his style of play playing on the break and you know just scoring with this lethal um accuracy so it, it sounds like it's it's really down to a handful of clubs uh, the the two spanish giants in barca and real madrid and then city perhaps psg will will come and you can never really count them out but i don't particularly see him going to france at this stage of his career so yeah, it's I, a week, I think it's, it's, a week, it's a weaker domestic league than I think that the Bundesliga is, right? So yeah, why would he make absolutely that? exactly? And so you're right. I, I think it comes down to to one of those three teams, and City has as much of a chance, if not more, of a chance than anyone else. So I do love that shout. Cool. What do you got for me today, sir? Um, so I actually, it's funny that that you 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 picked that for your armchair pundits because I. Uh, was thinking in a similar realm uh, when it comes to to Erling Holland, not as much uh, where he will be going next, but what he will achieve in his career. Um, and I'm going to make this prediction for you, Adam. Erling Holland is the next striker that will win a Ballon d'Or in world football. Hmm, okay, so let's let's hear your case. Yeah, so so definitely not going on on the stats basis here, and just more speculating as to what he's done. Maybe I, I suppose touching upon stats just a little bit. Um, you know, his prowess in the Bundesliga cannot be uh, overstated. He is currently averaging a under or over a goal every game. So to put that in other words, he's averaging a goal less than every ninety minutes that he plays on the pitch. Um, his his you know, success in the Champions League has been well-regarded, breaking all of these records for most goals in his first five games, most goals in his first 10 games in the Champions League. And again, he he truly is looking like this uh, this almost, uh, as they call him, this is actually his nickname, the, the Terminator uh, is is what he's known as in Germany. And it, it's a pretty apt uh, nickname when you, when you just see how well-rounded he is and how lethal and at times almost a, a robot he is on the field, just running at you know the fastest pace on the pitch, stronger than every other player, taller than every other player, and uh, a better shot than every pretty much everybody else in world football. So I, I think that regardless of the market that he moves into, he will be under immense scrutiny and spotlight. And when you go from Dortmund, a team that, as you mentioned, is is quite good, but is just like, it's slightly below that top tier, maybe tier 1B in world football, to a team that is firmly in the top of the top. I, I just see the sky being the limit for Holland, and I, I see that resulting in a Ballon d'Or. The reason I say the next striker is, frankly, if if Robert Lewandowski isn't going to win it with what he's done in the last two years, I don't think he'll ever win it. Because... Robert Lewandowski is by far the best striker in world football right now. And the fact that he hasn't won a Ballon d'Or is shocking. So we'll see what happens at the end of this year. But if he misses out, it's it's Erling Hollands. Yep. I love that shout. I also think that you make a great point about Lewandowski. I think Lewandowski is not sexy enough a name to win the Ballon d'Or. Literally the name? 
No, not not his name. I mean, like he's not like when you think about the caliber of player that you want up there. Lewandowski is just a real quality finisher and striker. He's no silky skilled Cristiano Ronaldo, silky skilled Lionel Messi, right? Um, I just I don't think necessarily that they want him associated with the best player in world football. Um, and, and I don't think that he's going to win it. So I, I agree. He's been phenomenal. Like, I, I don't know what more he can do to, to cement his place there, but they'll probably give it to Ronaldo again. I don't know if Ronaldo, Ronaldo's had a bit of an off year, but you're right. I, I, I think the, yeah, it, it's hard to explain why the quote unquote non-sexy name argument makes sense, but it, it does make sense. It's, you know, <laughs> it, it, in, a, in a league that is, I would say oft, oftentimes kind of the the, la, the least talked about of the big four, uh, those being England, Spain, Italy, Germany. Um, yeah, per, perhaps uh, just in some weird way, it takes away from Lewandowski's accomplishments that he's on this um, juggernaut of a team in a league that gets a little bit less media attention. Yeah, I'll say it another way. I don't think it has anything to do with the league. I think it has a lot to do with appeal on a global scale, appeal outside of your traditional hardcore football purists, right? The people that are watching games week after week. If you ask a non-football fan, who is Lionel Messi? They can tell you he's a soccer player. Uh, If you ask them who Cristiano Ronaldo is, they can tell you that. If you ask them who Robert Lewandowski is, they might be like, hmm, is he an actor? Um, He's not got the same kind of clout with non-football purists and football fans as I think one of those big names would have. I think there might even be a shot that Holland might actually at this point, given he's been on the cover of FIFA, um, on the FIFA games, might might have a chance of being more recognizable to a non-football fan. That's interesting. I'm, I'm, I, I think that I would make the argument that there's not any other player in the world besides Messi and Ronaldo that would be known on the scale that they are. I think that they stand... Uh, they stand on a pedestal well above anybody else in terms of just recognizability in in the world. But I do I, I do see what you're saying there. That Lewandowski, um, for all that he does for Bayern Munich, is not as as well known and 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 kind of transcendent of that cross cultural you know sphere that that Messi Ronaldo hold. I, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I was, I was listening to somebody make a point the other day that if Luka Modric had been born in a different generation that didn't include um, Ronaldo and Messi, he would have won multiple Ballon d'Ors in, in his so career. I, I was going to say that he is the exception to the rule because Luka Modric, again, like I think even less people would know who he is than uh, Robert Lewandowski. But uh, I think, yeah, we, we don't need to necessarily go into exactly what dictates why people know who certain people are. I, I do think that's an interesting point that you made that Lewandowski does lack that star uh, appeal at the level of some other players in world football. Yep. All right. I love, I love your point too. Um, okay. So 10 and 90 first or second Zach. Oh, I don't particularly have a preference. Um, do you care? I'll go first. If, unless you want to go, oh, go for first it. for any reason. Okay. Um, so, so my qu- first question in 10 and 90 tonight, um, actually, you, you've touched upon this a number of times throughout the podcast today. Uh, so question number one, Harry Kane is currently leading the Premier League in both goals and assists, as you have mentioned. 
There are two players to ever finish the season leading both of those categories in the Premier League. Do you know who they are? Now, I have a clue if you need it. I'll go for Thierry Henry. Is that one of them? No. No? Shoot. Uh, good. There you go. Okay. So, so my first clue I will give you, I'll give you two quick clues in this one. Uh, my first clue is the nationality of the players. The uh, one of these players uh, is an Englishman and the other one is a Dutchman. Dutchman. Um. Uh, I'll give you another clue here. Uh, the Englishman played for Newcastle. The Dutchman played for Chelsea. Okay, I was actually getting stuck on the, the Dutchman there. That's what I was thinking about. So is it is it Alan Shearer then? It is not Alan Shearer. Hmm. Who would that be? Alan Shearer was never never a huge assist man in the Premier League. I didn't League. think I didn't think so. Um, that's a great question. Uh, City, sorry, you said a Chelsea player, correct? For the, for mm -hmm. the Dutchman. Yeah, he he played the majority of his career in Chelsea. Or the, the most games of any club that he played for once for Chelsea. Wow, I'm really struggling on this one. All right, um, give it to me. I'm going to pass here. Andy Cole. Interesting. Okay. Andy Cole, early on in, I think it was 1994, so right after he came over uh, to Newcastle. Don't see him and, as a big sister either, to be honest, but there you go. Yes, yes, he did. And Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Oh, that's a great one. Okay. I like that a lot. Great question. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I, the Chelsea thing was a little deceiving, so I had to specify he played the majority of his games for Chelsea, but he did play for a number of other clubs. Middlesbrough, I think, actually, he played for after yep. Chelsea. Yep, great player, too. There you go. All right, um, so that was your one correct answers uh, uh, question. The, the rest are some more light hypotheticals. Um, starting okay. it off here, uh, we are going to go to question number two. Adam, you are making your ideal Premier League team from players that are active, currently active in the Premier League. You can uh, pick, or rather, let me rephrase that, who is the first defender, first midfielder, and first attacking player, so striker or winger, that you'd put on your team? So based on current form playing right now, correct? So I, you can base it on current form. I just more meant they are currently playing in the Premier League. You have to make your team of, of current Premier League players. Um, so you, you can kind of take that however you'd like. And you said defender, midfielder, and striker? Striker, like attacking player, striker slash winger. Who's the first one of those three categories that would make your team? I mean, well, obviously I'd start with Harry King. That would be the first player on, on my list, given that he is the top scorer and the top assister. And I just think he's absolutely world-class. Top scorer in the last major international tournament as well. Uh, I would then go to midfield, and I would still say Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I would be very closely have him followed up by Bruno Fernandez, but I do still mm. think, after watching um, Kevin De Bruyne play against Wales recently, just he's a phenomenal footballer. He's just there's not a lot that that guy cannot do, um, and obviously we know how well he he assists and the accuracy that he has and some of the beauties that he scored over the years. And then defensively, this one's more difficult, I would say. Um, the natural inclination is to go to Virgil van Dijk. He's been out all season. Who knows what he'll be like as a player when he comes back, whether he'll be the same sort of player after that. 
So based on current form, I might, heck yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for Manchester City's John Stones. Wow. Wow. Ooh, yeah. I mean, that, that's a good one. That's a good one. So I, I think Stones is maybe the most under-talked about player who has led Manchester City to the place that they're at in the Premier League this season. So I think that that's a very fair shout. He's he's been really really great, and um, you know I think I think his game has come on leaps and bounds, and we're finally seeing the promise being delivered on. Where some players they go and they make that big move and they don't do that. I think he owes a lot to Diaz in the um, in the Manchester City defense, and I almost said his name, um, but I truly think that Stones has looked the most improved defender in the Premier League this season. Certainly should be a good shout for starting for England this summer. Sure. Yeah, I, I think he definitely will start for England. Um, yeah, I think um, that's almost almost had to convince myself to say that then. So I'm glad that I finally thought it. No, that was that was good. I like that. Uh, okay, cool. So we're gonna go a little more abstract here for questions three, four, and five. Uh, questions three and four. I'll give this one as a package. Who do you think would be? Who do you think is the best and worst chess player in the Premier League, and why? Oh geez. Uh managers, players, could be anyone. Uh, only players. Only players. Only players. The best chess player in the Premier League would be oh my god, this is horrific. Where did you come up with this crap? Um uh-huh. <laughs> uh, best chess player, let's go with John Stones. Just solid, defensive. Knows knows his way around the board. Um, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, don't have a lot of good reasoning for that one. Sorry, it's a terrible answer. Let's go with worst chess player. Um, I'm going to go with Jeff Hendrick um, because he just makes poor decisions all the time and is questionable in everything that he does. Okay, very reasonable answer there. Uh, okay, so so to talk about people who make questionable decisions and are terrible at everything they do. Question number Steve five: Bruce. If you had to hire Steve Bruce ah, to be <laughs> to be a head coach or manager at a sport other than football, what would it be? Like, if I wanted them to be successful, if if you you know were an executive as a different sport and you had to hire Steve Bruce, what sport do you think he? could you know could succeed at baseball because i think a lot of people in baseball are out of shape and i think that he would not look out of place there in his um kebab laden physique love it that's a very good answer that's a really really good answer as somebody who is who is a a big baseball aficionado i can confirm a lot of out of shape people in that sport so i like don't need don't need to be in great shape for a lot of those people though like you just need to be able to hit the hit the ball yeah exactly Nice. Yep. Uh, all right. I have a theme for you, Zach. Hit me. We've talked, to, we've talked about this player a lot during the podcast today. I wanted to do a little homage to Sergio Aguero. We've got five oh, good. fact-based questions for you on Sergio Aguero. Are you ready, sir? Yes, I love that. All right. Um, Sergio Aguero is currently the fourth all-time leading scorer in the Premier League. He has 181 goals. 
Okay. Name the th- name the three players that have scored more than him. You don't have to give me their totals. You just have to name the three players who have more currently than Aguero. So the three players of any nationality, including English, that have more goals. Uh, yeah, nationality doesn't even come into it. So there's in the all-time top scoring charts in the Premier League, Aguero's in fourth. Who's in third, second, and first? Sheer, uh, Rooney, and Henri. Sure and Rooney are correct. Henri is not. Um, really? The last player is um, sure, Rooney cur- and... currently six goals ahead of uh, Aguero, so could potentially catch him by the end of the season if he if he starts Wait, banging. You mean six goals behind Aguero? No, Aguero is in fourth. This player is in third. Aguero has 181. This oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Um. Sheer Rooney and. I will give you a clue. Uh, okay. He was he was the answer to one of your ten and ninety questions. <laughs> um, let's look at my questions. Uh, <laughs> said Andy Cole. Andy Cole with one eighty seven. Yep. Damn, that's crazy. Yep. I didn't know he was that good. To be honest, oh, <laughs> I knew he was that good because of Newcastle fans, but I I didn't know he was that good. Yeah. Um, Two two former Newcastle players in the in the top three all time scorers in the Premier League there so pretty cool. All right, this is a random one that I had no idea about, so I don't expect you to. But let's see let's see how how many random facts you might know about Aguero. Sergio Aguero um, wears Kun Aguero K U N Aguero on his shirt. Why does he wear that on his shirt? Kun has some meaning in Argentinian Spanish. Uh, I'm not sure what it is exactly. Is it some sort of kind of like uh, like a pronoun or, or like sir or mister or no? No, I this don't. Is, okay, give it to me. This is so random. You're going to love it. Uh, it's a childhood nickname. Given okay, so to I was him, totally, I was totally uh, off of it being part of Argentinian <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> given to him by his grandparents. Um, because when he was a youngster, he watched a Japanese anime show, and no there was a character that was a favorite of his called Kum Kum K U M dash K U M, and his grandparents name Nick gave him the nickname Kun K U N. I don't know why it's not K U M and not K U N, but that is exactly why he has that. That's his nickname. That's unbelievable! Isn't that crazy? That is a that's a phenomenal fact. I love that. <laughs> That was a really great one. That's why it's on his shirt. Japanese anime, grandparents, nickname. Uh, All right, question three. Aguero was previously married to which famous footballer's daughter? Diego Maradona. Is correct. Diego Maradona's daughter, Giannina, uh, was his ex or is his ex wife, um, and he's not married to this day. Um, She's the mother also of his only son, Benjamin. Um, who is, looks like he is going to be a fantastic footballer too, based on some videos I saw online last night. Um, I love to hear dude, that. Dude has a shot on him as well. Um, but yeah, Maradona, when he was alive, he was there for the birth of Benjamin. Um, and he's his daughter, Giannina, was his youngest daughter as well. Yeah. Question number four. Uh, Sergio Aguero became City's most expensive purchase at the time in 2011, so 10 years at the club. What was his price in British pounds? Uh, I'll give you five million either way for the purchase price from Atletico for Aguero. Thirty-five mil. Great, thirty-eight million. Good job, sir. There Love you it. Go. All right, um, doing well tonight. I like it. Uh, yeah. 
All right, here's a random one for you, just to show Aguero's wealth. Which of these cars does Sergio Aguero <laughs> not, not own? Okay. A Ferrari, a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a Range Rover, a Porsche. He owns three of those four cars. Which one does he not own? I really find it hard to believe hard to believe that you have like conclusive knowledge of what cars <laughs> yet like i just don't think that that's true but i'll say he doesn't own a porsche i googled sergio Aguero facts so i'm gonna take this as fact uh you said okay. porsche porsche was your answer yeah it doesn't have a porsche porsche is correct well done sir you're having wow. a great night today so his combined wow. ferrari lamborghini and range rover are worth six hundred and seventy thousand british pounds <laughs> That's not that much money. I don't know why he <laughs> cheaps out like that. That's pretty pretty terrible when you think of all the people going starving in the world, right? Um, and that's that's my lot on Sergio Aguero. I do, Love of course, that. have a Welsh word for you. Zach, you did great in 10 and 90. Congratulations. Good good return to form for you. Um, my thank Welsh you, word you. for you today uh, does have a vowel in it this week, so that's that's the start. Uh, that's it great. is M-E-L-Y-N. M-E-L-Y-N. M E L Y N. Meln. Meln. Just Meln. Meln? It's Melon. Yeah. No, it's just Melon. Oh, shit, that was easier melon. than I thought. Yeah, I, I tried to give an easy one this week. Uh, melon means yellow. Okay. No no purpose. Just just yellow. No, uh, cantaloupe. Yeah. There you go. Melon. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Melon. All right, cool. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, good. That was a fun. That was a fun ten and ninety. Uh, all right, trivia answer. Let's let's get this last clue in and and find out what your answer is. I'm interested on this one. All right. So again, reminder for listeners: who is the only non-British player to make more than 500 Premier League appearances? Clue midway through the pod. He played for Middlesbrough and Fulham during his Premier League career. Clue number two: I'm going to give you his nationality and his position. He's Australian. Tim Cahill. Hold on. <laughs> it's incorrect. It's Tim Cahill. Incorrect. He played for Everton, obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> and played as a goalkeeper for his respective club. Clubs. Whoa, why, why did that throw me off? So Middlesbrough and Fulham player, 500 Premier League appearances, Australian goalkeeper. Australian goalkeeper. Australian goalkeeper. Australian goalkeeper. It's definitely a little earlier in the Premier League era, but he's, yeah, he's I, fairly, I, fairly, fairly well known. I can like kind of visualize it. Um, Australian goalkeeper. Fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was, was that? David Seaman, was he Australian? No, he was English, right? Uh, he's English, correct. Yeah. A little bit before this player's time, Seaman was. was very early. Um can you can you give me his initials? I want to get this one. Because I, I definitely know All who right. it is, but I, I'm I can't not, think I'm, of not, it. I'm not gonna I, with that clue, I'm definitely not giving you the the No, uh, I don't get credit. I don't get credit. Ass on this one today. So his initials are M S. M S. I don't know. I, have, I I really have no idea. Player is Mark Schwartzer. I do remember him. 
I did like I do know that name deep in my mind, but no, I never would have gotten that one. That's crazy. That's a crazy yeah. stat. Still to this day, and he's been he's been retired from from football for for quite some time now. Um, still the only non-British player to make more than five hundred appearances. There you go. Yeah, that's that's a wild one. Um, I like that though. I feel like. Cool. For some reason, I have so many. I have like an image in my mind of him wearing a baseball cap while in goal, and that's it. That's all I can give you. Maybe he did once. <laughs> Definitely did. In 500 games, he certainly wore a baseball cap. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, so let's wrap up. Three games we're looking forward to. Zach, you go first. What games are you looking forward to this weekend? Um, I, I don't know if looking forward is the right term necessarily, but the Newcastle game is – is enormous and you know we, we've been teased around quite a few times this season in terms of like good performances that Newcastle has put out then fall followed by horrible performances so I don't have a lot of high hopes but uh, that one is going to be such an important game uh, if we're doing three Leicester West Ham absolutely will be a really good match uh, and a really important match at that and then Tottenham Man U is the easy answer, but I don't want to give that answer. Um, I will say, I'll say Fulham Wolves the the Friday match because those teams like Wolves trending down, Fulham is slipping a bit as well. But I could see that being uh, obviously an important match for Fulham, but just a, a really a really good match as well. I, I could see that one getting busted open, even though neither of those teams is scoring a lot of goals. Um, I don't know, but for some reason, I have a feeling that that one could kind of turn into a bit of a, a bit of a shit show, if you will. Yeah, should be an interesting one. Yeah, I actually had the three games I listed were Fulham Wolves, West Ham Leicester, and Spurs Man U. I think some interesting dynamics to the Spurs Man U game. Jose welcoming his own old team um, back to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, earlier in the season, Spurs stuffed Man U 5-1. I think that Man U yeah. will have that on their mind. Um, and obviously Spurs need that win to keep the top four hopes alive and potentially keep their manager in a job. So I think that'll be a, a fascinating game. Lots of great un- kind of undercurrents and stories there. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good call. Uh, yeah, I think all, all of those games will be good. And fuck, I really pray that Newcastle gets something out of this weekend or, or we're back in the doldrums, my friend. Uh, it's going to be interesting. The question is obviously, is Cal Wilson going to be fit for that game? I don't think he starts... ASM could start, um, but let's see what what happens. Um, it's going to be going to be a fascinating one. Let's just hope that they're up for it in the same way they were against Spurs in what could be a winnable game. Definitely, definitely. All right, Adam. Great sixty fifth episode, folks. If you ever want to chime in on anything we talk about, or if you want to give us suggestions on on topics, any questions you want answered, again. Uh, I'll, I'll do a quick shout chn underscore podcasts on Twitter. Um, I'll put our contact info in the uh, the podcast description as well. Um, yeah, some fan engagement would be would be fun once in a while. But yeah, thank you, Adam. This was a good episode. And also, shout out to, to Justin on the last episode. That was uh, really great for him to fill in, and that was it was awesome to have him on the pod. He did a great job. Yeah, thought it was cool to have him on and just get some some additional perspective, right? Um, keep, keeps it fresh for our listeners. Um, that said, super glad that you are healthy um, and back to form, as it were. Um, good to have you back, my friend. Back on the pitch, my friend, as always. <laughs> can't can't get me out for too long. All right? <laughs> Until next time, Adam. Let's see. Peace. Stop recording. I have to click somewhere.